Okay, it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. And I'm Dr. Lisa, and I give a shit. Man, what a shit show. This is a shit show. You know what I'm really, I am getting, like the closer we get to the election, the more anxiety, the more hope, but it becomes, for me, it's getting like more into focus. Also, I notice, are you guys noticing this? So I, I live with my husband. We're, ma we're married, so it's okay. You know, we're not, this is not, you know, out, we're, we're married. When we have sex, it's married sex, okay? Because I know how you feel about that. But, um, you know, it is really weird when you have this one person that you wind up just seeing so much more than anyone else. And I keep having different feelings about it. Like, is this, it's, in a way, it's sort of simple. Like, I realize, like, I don't have to deal with any kind of social pressure. But on the other hand, there's only so much, so much, one person can't fill all your needs. So anyway, I just want to tell you that in, in case you're feeling that too. But most importantly, I want you to know how important Radio Free Brooklyn is at a time like this, because if you are feeling isolated, you can just turn on Radio Free Brooklyn and you will get immediate company. We have such great programming and it's 24 seven and we have, you know, everything. We have music, we have comedy, we have like politics. So, um, you know, if you want to, you can download our app, okay? Go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.com and download our app. Give us some money. Check us out. We've got great programming. Okay, thanks a lot. So I'm going to tell you who's with me today. I have the artist, and the, seriously, folks, this is really one of my favorite artists per, personally, my favorite one of them. Uh, David B. Fry. And David, you know, I met him originally through Christopher Stout. We had a gallerist in common. But the thing about David's work that really struck me was it, uh, David's black and his work has to do with slavery. And it's, it's actually really, really funny and really, really like in your face all at the same time. And he really gets his, he really makes you think about slavery on a personal level. Like what it, what, how it affects individuals in America, how their, their history, people's individual history. And um, he's also been a huge hit on uh, the last two spring break shows, art shows which, you know, he, which are incredibly well, people, his work, his work is really, it's doing well. He's really well received. So I'm going to introduce you and have him give you an idea about his work himself. Hello, David. Oh, hi. How you doing? Hi. Good. How did that go? Did that, that kind of cover it a bit? Well, very well, I, I would think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, you have gotten like so much attention. I mean, 
I've only known you maybe four or five years, but in the last four or five years that I've known you, your work has really been noticed a lot. Have you? Do you feel that? Things have have definitely, as far as attention as yeah. artists, things have gotten more. Uh, I've gotten more attention in the last five years. I think there was a long period in which I really the things I was doing really weren't. Um, very well received or seen at all uh, i was doing lincoln paintings probably uh 10 or 15 years ago like in 2005 2000 you know six mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i started doing those so society is catching up with you i think is part of it but i also think that um i think the work that you did was pre prescient look at me using that big word prescient like when I think about the work that I saw you do two years ago, and as far as this Black Lives Matter thing, I mean, I think it was. I think it was. Do you feel that way? Do you feel like sort of some of the themes that you were working with have come into focus in the culture at large more? Yeah, I think that I think that people are starting to uh, think about um, their the meaning of some of the struggle that we've had over the past centuries. And they're starting to really um, have a hard look at things that people were taking for granted in the past. I think mm -hmm. that, you know, I, I was very um, happy to see people taking a hard look at some of the Confederate statues, mm -hmm. the Confederate flag, for instance, these mm -hmm. sorts of things, because they did work to create uh, pervasive atmosphere of hostility for uh, black Americans in many uh, cases in this country and in many places where they were you would find a confederate flag in front of a courthouse you really don't feel like you're getting a fair trial when you're walking in there and you see that or you know you're driving into a town and you see these enormous statues or in Richmond's right. case of Richmond they had a whole monument avenue filled with Confederate statues. And the thing is, you couldn't have Martin Luther King Day down there. They had to have Lee King Day. They had to have oh, Robert wow. King Day. You, yeah. really, you, you do really know a lot about this stuff. But I want people, can you sum up, I mean, can you sum up what your work is about, the issues that your work is trying to express and in you do it, David, because I can, I don't think I'm going to do as good job as you are. Well, what I think in the yeah, I think in the case of the paint series of paintings you're we're discussing right now, I think what happened was um, I had an encounter with someone who was very hostile to the notion of black people talking about uh, slavery. Uh huh. And, and out of the blue, out of the blue, this guy just brought it up. I didn't say a, a damn thing uh -huh. you him. were working as a you're an elevator um um i'm not going to say mechanic Me wait oh well, i am a mechanic and uh, elevator and mechanic working. and so what you do is repair elevators that's your day job say well i was doing inspections and uh that's what i do and uh, i was just discussing some of the conditions on the elevator and it just came up and it was just i guess it was this guy's way of because I did write an essay that accompanied uh, the exhibition. It was like about 14 pages. But it was this guy's way of gauging whether I was a good guy or, or whatever. 
is he wanted to talk to me about uh, people having resentments over slavery. And the thing was that I actually asked him about it. Now, why do you think this is? What do you, why do you want me to feel the same way as you do? Uh, wow. You know, it's like I'm a descendant of, of slaves myself. Uh, I used to talk to, you know, older people in my family, and I know what went on. And even after World War II, what went on. So you're and, like, uh, you're like in your, you're close to my age. How old are you? I'm 57. So you've heard, you've been, when you were a kid growing up, you heard your relatives talking about slavery in a very, like, they lived through it manner, right? Specific oh, incidences. You heard stories personally. I heard stories about, um, you know, uh, about slavery and even some very close to the horse's mouth. Uh, there was one family member who died in 1971. It would have been 105 years old. And uh, he basically was a baby and he was born into slavery. And that ended and uh, he grew up in basically in a sharecropping situation in uh, Mississippi. Uh, and then his children, uh, one of his children married my grandmother's, my grandmother's second husband. So, uh, James Pops would have grown up as a sharecropper, and he was born in 1910, and then my uncle Dave was already 18 in 1910 when he went to Chicago, so he's part of the migration, and then you had my aunt and uncle, the Forts family, my grandmother's maiden name was Fort, and they were from uh, western Tennessee, and so there was an oral history that involved um, slavery and I was fascinated as a kid by a lot of that history and I would listen to those guys tell stories and over time some of it stuck in my mind so at a certain point I determined that I would look up the Fort family since that's the oral history I knew the most and I would find out if I could what the people who owned my grandmother's family did with the money <laughs> and I would make paintings of it, and that's it. And I and uh, so I I was surprised because it turned out to be things like uh, it. It's hard to paint a picture of somebody's education or a prominent government post, but right. they had those, or the fact that they brought the Baptist religion to Tennessee. They built the first Baptist church in Tennessee with the help of their slaves, and uh, they let the slaves pray in the barn. Like if the weather was bad, they would let us go into the barn and pray and this kind of thing, like in the barn so we could uh -huh. have a Baptist service in there. As long as the service wasn't, you know, anything about, you know, getting out of slavery or being delivered or anything like that, you could have that worship service. Do, do you and think, yeah. They, they, oh yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, do you think most, I mean, it's, when I hear you talk about it, it's sort of like fascinating, but you talk about it in a fairly, um, I mean, is it upsetting to you in a fairly matter of fact way? Is it upsetting to you or how did you feel when you were growing up and you were aware that, you know, when you would hear these stories, what was that like for you? Well, were the, were, were the relatives mad? Like where did the relative, how did they talk about it? Were they like, those white people suck. They should all be. Well, they, what they, what they, they didn't really 
go into it like that, but there you could see that there was anger. Mm-hmm. You could see that there were resentments. And you could see that there were repercussions because, uh, you know, the problem, one of the things that people don't understand about it is that it actually, if you were treated like a slave, you may turn around and uh, train uh, your children uh, in a way that they, they would, you're going to train your kids to be slaves. So things like uh, don't talk back, uh, speak when you're spoken to, be quiet around a Authority figures, you're being taught all these things. Like, and, and it's true, you were taught to like not be especially expressive or forthcoming around any strange people that were outside. Were you taught that? Were you taught that? I was very bad at it, but uh, yeah, there was some so of they, that. Like, were they worried about you like getting in trouble because you were a black kid? Obviously. Yeah. Obviously. And they, and they also like, you know, when the police are there and you're talking to police, you're doing certain stuff. I mean, and it was because of the way Indiana is, and it's because of the way Tennessee is. It wasn't like a, they had a fantasy. It was like they knew that certain things were going on and that they had, you know, to teach you how to deal. And mm-hmm. uh, that was, it, it, the thing is that you get into, if you got into the specifics of what that family owned, they went far beyond education and influence. The, the family like the that owned family, your family White. you're talking about now. The White Fort family was a founding father of the state of Tennessee. They helped write the Tennessee state constitution. They also were friends, personal friends with Andrew Jackson. They built a railroad, a spur railroad that went between Nashville and into Kentucky called the Edgefield and Kentucky Railroad. Um, you have the National Life and Casualty Insurance Company. I believe that's what it's called. Let me look it up real quick. I have it pulled up. So you're the National Life and Accident Company. And so they were the sponsors of the Grand Old Opry. So these people got like incredibly wealthy and incredibly fame or powerful, let's put it that way, um, by exploiting your family. This is true. And they, and they, and as far as I know, some of them may still be rich today, but you know, they, they don't, they ask, you know, and the thing is that because the money was transferred into corporations and they say corporations are people now, I Uh actually question whether or not as people, they shouldn't have the same responsibility as a person who did all those things. But Mm -hmm. then that would that would be my explanation as to when people ask who would pay for reparations i think some of that oh that's interesting that so they should they should i mean there would be a way of doing the research and making it transparent about like which individuals actually literally benefited from having slaves right is that what you're saying well yeah, because a lot of the wealth actually was mm-hmm. foundational capital that created corporations, and those corporations now in turn still exist. Like the Edgefield and Kentucky Railroad was bought first by the L&N Railroad, then bought mm-hmm. by CSX. The National Life and Accident Company is owned by AIG. Wow. So they're wow. Really and the um, Grand Ole Opry, there's a great picture of Grand Parsons. Grand Parsons is standing in think- front of their logo. Do you think black people, you know, young black people today, like what you're focusing on, 
you know, it's yeah. really interesting because I think that, I mean, the reason that black people, I mean, slavery is, a, is the, the way black people are discriminated against today has a lot to do with the fact that they were brought here as slaves, right? And they didn't have the same, they had no opportunities and they were, you know, totally exploited. Well, then, yeah. But do you think, do you think that black people, t in young black people in America today make that connection readily the way you are? I don't know exactly whether, you know, they do or don't. Uh, what I do know is that the things that affect them day to day in their struggle are apparent, you know, which is why you had the explosion with BLM and uh, other civil rights uh, mm -hmm. you know, organizations that are mm -hmm. coming up and you have people talking about different solutions that but, are, uh, and they're, and they're, and then you have people that are just angry. Yeah. And, then, uh, and that's, but the thing that I see is that, uh, when I, I think back about it, uh, you, if you go ever go to a slave cemetery, you see a place, sometimes they're just overgrown. Sometimes they were plowed under and used, uh, to build a new housing development. Oh, that's horrible. But that so, happened. So tell, that, tell us about your Lincoln paintings. I want to talk about those too. Tell us what that series was about. It's about uh, people basically creating um, uh, sort of uh, their own personalized histories that don't comport with reality. And they're, they're oftentimes their fantasies. Like I, I saw uh, one time, the way I started out on that is I had, again, I had an encounter and I was someone and they were talking to me about um, these uh, two men that they saw kissing one time. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, this guy was complaining about that. I looked over and there was an image of these Iraqi um, men being hung from a bridge and burned. Their bodies were burned. There were children playing nearby. And I said to myself, wow, this guy is worked up about um, this thing that wasn't violent, wasn't hateful. It's just a couple of guys kissing. And then mm -hmm. he's like, okay, with his kids playing in front of dead bodies hanging from a bridge. And I realized that like sort of at that point that like violence is sort of wallpaper. What do you mean by that? In America and that people <laughs> People don't I mean, it's so common, violence, but they see sex. They don't see sex. They don't um, pay any attention to it. They don't, they don't uh, pay it any mind. They you mean they don't censor it. it. Right. Yeah. Right. And people will do anything to stop um, the images, images of sex. So I actually started to incorporate direct imagery of the sexual nature involving what had been a venerated president of the United States. You know, uh, I figured Lincoln, you know, I started the first Lincoln painting. Lincoln's like a pimp and he just has like platform shoes. And he's like, he's in this painting I did of a, of a black uh, veteran. Uh, and, you know, that which has a story. And then uh, I got involved in um, further, taking that further and further you know, until uh -huh. I, I developed a, a sort of iconography. And like, like, like very long uh, penises in doing, right. right? 
Right. What, because what, that so like these long penises were part of all the all the paintings. Well what I'm trying to remember what they were doing, the penises. Well they were undulating. Uh, they're like in one instance they're forming a shelter. Like there's yeah. all these Mormon brides and they're running into the the Abraham Lincoln penis cabin during a storm to get shelter and uh, other cases they're uh, uh, forming tall buildings. Uh, they're being uh, he's having a I guess oral sex experience with mermaids while he's standing on a boat like what it see guys what a, a what a great what a great imagination huh. So what kind of feedback? I mean, those were a huge hit at one of the, at the, two, 2000, the 2019 spring break, right? Yeah. So what kind of feedback? What did you learn? What was people's reactions? Like, how do people respond to those paintings? Are we frozen? Well, when oh, I was making them in two, no, I'm not frozen. When I first started making them in 2005, people thought I'd lost my mind. Uh, and were telling me how crazy I was. And, and I'm like, well, this is the world we live in. We live in a world where of constant disinformation, where people don't even look at the truth as if it regard is of any consequence. And then also, you know, people just ignore uh, violence and focus completely on sex. So I decided that I would fuse those two things. And I think it, in 2019 at spring break, or it, it seemed people got it because right. this is the world we live in. They see it every day. They see people uh, lying, uh, outright lying, you know, for political reasons, creating uh, just, I think one time I was reading uh, like in um, B, like Thomas Pynchon's B, he says that people construct their rat's nest out of history. Their own right, right. Well, well, I remember liking that one a lot, and there's some inspiration there, I guess. Yeah, and another thing that you've talked about is how how paintings like classic paintings of history in museums are all lies, right? I mean, isn't that something that you're uh, working with well, too? Well, yeah, if you see, um, there's pictures of like George Washington and slaves all happy and stuff. There's not a look of resentment on their face or you'll see people marching off to uh, fight and die in some war and you don't see fear and, uh, you know, the fear or trembling. You just see these guys standing up straight going like, it, yeah, it, it is. Um, the emotion in the painting is a lie, and those paintings are made in the era before photography was, you know, a medium, right? Yes, this is true. And yeah. so that's how we saw history. That's how we were, how history was presented to the world, American history, right? You know, as a lie, yeah. as a lie, which the. Well, your husband like does panopticons, which is interesting. Like, Sorry? you know, you have the circular photography. Oh yeah. Creates an environment. Yeah. Uh, maybe I used the wrong word. Oh, but, panoramas. Uh, panoramas. Bill Bueller, panoramas. Yeah. Not yeah, panopticons like the prison view thing. No, Whatever. Panorama. 
But they, they had like in the, in the, when I was a kid, one time we went to uh, Lookout Mountain and there was this thing called Confederama and it was like a, a Civil War diorama, uh, like panorama thing that was like the Battle of Lookout Mountain. Mm-hmm. You could go there and look at Lookout Mountain and mm-hmm. uh, at the Confederama. So after you finished those series, the next series was the more personal series where you really did the research into how um, the family, the Fort family owned your family and how they benefited from it, right? Is that right? Is that what happened? Yeah, next? that's when the, in 20, I guess, 15, 16. And you've I done a to... lot of, you did a, you, you've done a lot of research on, how slavery has built America, right? Well, in the sense that, I mean, I think that people, people obviously know that part. I think that what I did was I personalized and I talked about the ways that uh, it affected my family. For instance, there was a woman, Cornelia Fort, and Cornelia Fort's the first United States Army Air Corps uh, aviatrix who was killed mm-hmm. Uh, in the line of duty. She Mm -hmm. died in a training mission, but she went to Sarah Lawrence College. Now, Cornelia was the granddaughter of the man who owned my grandfather, Mm -hmm. and my grandmother was the same age as her. Now, she went to Sarah Lawrence. My grandmother never got to go to college. You see what I'm saying? Totally. All of this sort of intergenerational wealth gave them opportunities for education and to follow uh, their dreams. And it was a very unconventional thing for a woman to have uh, been interested in flying. So she had the wealth and resources to study uh, aviation and flying. And, and so, so that's personal. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's illustrated. It's illustrated like where you can really see the difference. Now, I wanted to ask you also about the Golden Cap. That was your latest exhibition at into 2020 at Spring Break, right? Yeah. So tell, tell us about that one, too. I'm trying to get them all in here, David. I want to cover all your work in an hour. You're like oh. 30 years of art in an hour doing it, the whole thing. Go ahead. Tell us about that. That was a huge hit, too. Well, I encountered... Um, a, a playing card that showed a man milking a bull. Mm-hmm. You mean just and, uh, uh, it was uh, sort of an image, an image of a man engaged in an act of folly. And mm-hmm. uh, so, when studying that, I did find out that um, there is actually an electronic device which is used to uh, st- stimulate bulls and gather bull semen for the purpose of industrial agriculture. Yeah, that makes sense. Which is neither, neither here nor there. It's hard but, to uh, find. A, so there it, are bull milkers. Yeah, it's hard to find, like you know, a, a bull, a bull, um, you know, strip club or something like that. Well, they don't. No, whatever, you, uh, or the equivalent of it. Go ahead. They, but they they have that, and then um, so there are people who do literally milk bulls now, but it's not the act of folly it once was. But I decided to paint pictures of uh, hillbillies uh, sort of venerating a golden calf. So I took Mm -hmm. the golden calf story that's popular in the book of Exodus 
and in that story, I guess there's the instance where people forget about their miracles. Now they just seem to. Yeah, just can you explain uh, the golden calf story for people who haven't been to religious school? Well, they well they okay. Well, the, or the basic idea fleeing or fleeing Egypt. They succeeded. They got away from Pharaoh. They're in the wilderness. They're camped at the base of Sinai, and they're waiting for Moses to come back with what would be the Ten Commandments. But he's up there for a long time, and during that time, they get restless. And so they turn to an old comforting tradition, which was uh, the veneration of this bull calf. So they melt down their earrings and take small donations of gold and beat it out and fabricate a golden calf idol, and then they give worship to the golden calf, mm -hmm. which is actually breaks one of the tame mammoths, but this is after they had witnessed all these miracles. Mm -hmm. So they forgot about the miracle that they had witnessed and the things that delivered them and the things that made So them. miracles started seeming normal. Pedestrian, that, that was a pedestrian miracle, I got it. So, well, they, so they, yeah, well, I mean, the parting of the Red Sea, all these plagues, mm -hmm. all this other stuff. I got you it. You know, and they, they forget all this, and they go on and do something that they used to do. So I had this picture of these um, sort of hillbillies, like, venerating a golden calf. And it was just sort of meant to be allegorical. Right. And uh, just, uh, I had uh, invented, like, I guess, the Duchamp chopper, where I have, like, a specialized milking Autonomaton, uh, you turn the Duchamp wheel and the little mm -hmm. milking stool right. rocks back and forth and the hand goes along the bull. And yeah, that, a, you incorporated like sculpture objects yeah. into yeah, that. Yeah, it's work. a sculpture. Yeah, it's a sculpture. And then on one side of the painting, there um, was a um, figure of Christ who's carrying a cross, and there are all these. Uh, little pails of bull semen tied to the cross, but the mm -hmm. cr Christ is black. And then on the other, and you see that from the position of these two gunmen. These mm -hmm. two guys have shotguns on Christ. And they're making him carry the cross. And then on the other side, you see Christ from the position of the crowd. Mm -hmm. And they mm -hmm. see a white Jesus. Mm -hmm. And, uh, there's a shopping mall with a Statue of Liberty and for sale in it. It's a strip mall. Um, so what you what you point out also a lot is the hypocrisy, right? That's a big thing for you too, isn't it? Like how, um, like with religion, how people think they're doing good and there's so much, you know, you know what I mean, right? Well, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of ambiguity with uh, beliefs, and a lot of times I think, you know, uh, the, I guess in the sense that what I was driving at was uh, people forgetting uh, miracles and forgetting the good things that happened to them and the things that delivered them and the things that made them great or made them somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of what I was driving at is that people – basically walked away from uh, the thing that had delivered them. And uh, I think that that's, that's sort of what I was driving at with the work mm -hmm. in the sense that that's why I chose the story of the golden calf. Right. Uh, 
Right, right. That people don't appreciate what they have. There's no gratitude. Gratitude is really important, right? So it, gratitude is a great... It helps your memory. It's a great yeah, quality. It'll help you remember. I mean, yeah. and you, we say, um, I guess to be blunt, we say that we're uh, a democracy and we say that we believe in certain things and certain types of principles, but yet when they're tested, we turn away from them and we, you know, we get bored and we turn back to things that we used to do instead of going forward. Right. Uh, right. Good point. So that's So did, was, you, did you, have you pissed off anybody? Did you piss? What kind of conversations did you have at spring break about that work? I mean, it was, like I said, it was extreme, extremely popular. And uh, I know well, you're you Last had a good year, I, I actually got somebody who's really mad at me. Oh, really? About the Lincoln. But uh, the bull paintings, I think people just looked, and they, uh, I think it was a little less, um, a little less direct. Uh-huh. And um, I think a lot, a lot of times the audience felt that I wasn't really talking about them. Oh, they I didn't have to they, take they it that personally. Well, what yeah, about the Lincoln? So tell us a story. So what happened about the Lincoln thing? Did somebody get pissed off? Somebody got pissed off at you. Did they? Yeah, he did. So not, did they hit you? Was there violence? No, there That's, was no violence. No, no violence. Damn. All right. Well, let's hear the story then. Well, the guy basically, what he was mad about was that I could do that to uh, history because he felt that the history was sacred and that I should read more about Lincoln and that he can't understand how I could do that to such a great American. <laughs> awesome. And, and uh, there was that. And then was he really, really him. angry? Like really, was he like yelling at you angry? Yeah, he was, what a, history, did you, what did he was you, a history nerd. He's for real. Uh, what did you say to him? I tried to discuss the, the work with him and uh, to be, I think at first he was angry at my response because he felt like I was being dismissive. And I, 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 I tried to bring it back down to where we're talking to one another. So we right. had a conversation. And you were, you were talking to him in a calm angry. way. I'm sure guys, I tried. Yeah, to. David would have been like calm, normal, respectful. I'm sure rational. This guy probably wasn't. Um, and then what else you were going to say? I interrupted you. You were telling Well, we got one time I sent it, uh, the Lincoln sculpture that was sort of the centerpiece that show out to Indiana, and we got hate mail. Really? Uh, like so what was like, the show like? What, what kind of show was it? Was it a group show? It was a group show. It was, so, uh, with, um, it was with Alcove Gallery, and it was called Town Hall, Hall Meeting. Mm -hmm. it, it, they became sugar in, uh, in uh, the book. Uh, Gwendolyn Skaggs ran it uh -huh. over on Troutman Street, and uh, it went out to Indiana and was at the Midland Arts Center. And it, it so it wasn't in context of your other work either, right? That's no, what it was with just so, out there. So what? Guys. What? What? What did you get? What happened? Well, it said uh, Jesus hates this. I actually used it for an invitation. Mm -hmm. So you got a lot of, you got hate, they got hate mail. Yeah, they signed in the book of some comments where they didn't like the work. What, how did the gallery handle it? 
well, there would not, there were nothing they could really do. I mean, we just like, were they upset of, uh, or amused? Well, uh, I don't think anybody was upset. It was like, wow, you know, because somebody said, um, actually somebody signed in the book, like, um, unlike, uh, the, uh, abuse and degradation of a people for many generations, you know, because they said unfit for anybody. Uh, ah. but you know, the comment was like, yeah, well, it, it isn't as bad as what you've done to other people in this country. <laughs> That's hilarious. Just, you know, it is really interesting if you think about like showing your work outside of New York City, though, I'm sure, right? It could probably, guess, it would probably yeah, be a really good education for a lot of people. Um, and it is interesting how art gets so controversial, how people get upset about it. So what's your feeling? I mean, what's your feeling about the whole Black Lives Matter thing? That that came up kind of suddenly, right? In a way? Well, it's that, been going on for three, for three or four years. Uh, as far as long, and you know, the thing was that I think when, in 2016, before the election or, you know, before, uh, I guess Trump was elected. They were there were people getting very angry uh, about uh, football games, Colin Kaepernick, right, or the national anthem. And um, I think that a lot of times uh, when I think it, Carl Jung said that when uh, symbols really um, examined, that it actually loses its meaning. Interesting. Uh, and it, it's like when you understand the symbol, that's it. It's, it's no longer works the same way. And I think for some people, um, it's changed a relationship with sort of these sort of cultural touchstones. Like Interesting. You have like the national anthem or something, you know, it changes the way you look at it because you look at what the original verses of it, it's about like uh, black soldiers joining the British Navy so they could be freed from slavery. And, uh, that anthem actually has a whole verse about like uh, killing those guys, mm -hmm. and all they're trying to do is become free. But you know uh, that maybe they did it by joining the army, the Navy, British Navy. But they they had to do something, and uh, apparently uh, that that made Francis Scott Key kind of angry. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't really, you know, there's no way to really have the kind of discussion that we should have had, like generations ago with right and without somebody standing up and offending a lot of people and it, it's because people feel free to ignore um what should have been understood by everybody as a concern right. I mean, you you have horrible violent things happening all the time maybe we should look at why that's happening maybe we should do something about it, it so, it seems so do, you, do you think that as a country we need to have more direct conversations about slavery and the legacy of what slavery has uh, the effect on america right is that what you're saying well honest to god i do think so but uh one of How the things that mm -hmm. i why would one of the things I would say to a lot of uh, a lot of white people don't understand this, but slavery actually fucked them up. They don't see it. Really? It how do you? It, how do you? Yeah, fucked, tell us. How do you see it? That's interesting. It, it fucked up everybody's relationship with work. Number one, 
because number one, it be, when you had slavery, it became possible to be seen as a responsible person in your community, even though you did anything and everything for a dollar. Mm. You over there degrading and violating human beings for a dollar, and there you are in the Chamber of Commerce. There you are building a college. There you are uh, running for office. You're doing all these things, and you can do anything and everything in the interest of making a buck. So it, right. it, it threw all the ethics went out the window. Uh, right. It, it, it destroyed it destroyed the the market for the labor of poor whites. Right. When you, my uncle used to tell me when I was a little boy, my great uncle, he said Lincoln freed the poor white man because before the end of slavery. There was absolutely no market for his labor. If you were a white laborer, there was no reason to hire you. Those railroads in the South were mostly built by slaves. Why is that? It's because there was no market for the labor of an itinerant laborer who was a Caucasian because you can lease black people. You go to a plantation like Lessington or something, they have a few extra guys, lend them to me. I'll pay you X amount. Uh, in New York City, Chase Bank down on Wall Street, there were people involved in that area leasing slaves, like oh. on Wall Street, before slavery was ended in New York. So, so there, it, it is kind. You think you think white people should be angry about slavery for their own reasons too? Is that what you mean? I, I think that they should come to recognize that it changed our culture significantly and made mm -hmm. it possible for uh, people to do all sorts mm -hmm. of horrible things and think and still be seen as okay people. Why In other words, like you get very right. wealthy people. Right. There were instances in steel mills where before there were workman cop laws, where people would get hurt on the job and they would drag you out of the steel mill after you had a pot of hot iron fall on you and throw you out on the curb and dare you to come back in there. Fire you on the spot. There's no workman's cop. It changed the relationship that Americans have with why, why do you think that we, as Americans, why do you think we have such a hard time having a, a direct, honest conversation about it? The story that we're telling ourselves about who we are means more to us than the material reality of what we are. Huh. In other words, like, if we examine those symbols about this country and see behind them see that little dirt behind the daydream so to speak mm -hmm. we get to that place where we would be in a, able to have a really tough conversation but right now the fantasy about we're the freest country in the world we don't, we do the, it's a fantasy and right at the same time you know we we could be better we could be better. We could be a better place for everybody. We could be better. Everybody could have a secure, happy life if we just got off the fantasy about it. Right. And just admit right. it that we, we could do certain things. I think a lot of it has to do with um, what kids are taught in school, too. Do you? Yeah, I think that they limit um, confrontational things, and they don't really explore um, a lot of the matters in the way that they should, you know, like when you talk about something like, uh, that happened to, you know, the native people, like the trail of right. tears, uh, you know, one of the things that makes that oddly personal to me is I was told in stories by the family that that went by the plantation where we were enslaved. Right. You know, that went 
by the Fort Plantation. The Trail of Tears marched right by. My ancestors saw that. Wow. And, so, what, uh, so do you think like the, the way things are today, do you think that's going to have a lasting effect? Like, what do you, do you see things changing because of the black, it's really not the Black Lives Matter movement. It's really the final straw when, um, I'm going to blank on his name, that poor, that uh, George Floyd got, uh, was murdered, right? Isn't that really kind of the turning point? the final straw? It is, I mean, it's a little early to call it. I mean, but it, it's definitely had an effect. I think that the the question is, you know, do, do we want a, a country where everybody can live in? And if we want that, then we're going to have to work together and make some concessions and understand one another a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with us sitting down having a discussion because it's that point is now we have to do something and people are sick of the way things are you you know um one of the most interesting things i know from history was um the italian anarcho-syndicalist movement back in the teens they mm -hmm. blew up wall street they put a horse cart full of dynamite or driven drawn by a mule over in front of wall street and blew it up and wow. uh, there, were, there were immigration laws against italians that passed for, you know, for a long time, you know, they weren't letting people in from Italy. And uh, at that time, uh, there was crime in all sorts of uh, blue collar, white neighborhoods uh, in, in the city, in Jewish neighborhoods, in uh, Irish neighborhoods, there was all sorts of things going on. And there was all sorts of social control directed through policing at those communities. Mm -hmm. And we can look back at that, like, say, in 1926, if you pick up a New York Times. Uh, one time I read a whole month of 1926 New York Times, there's this kid named Samuel Kemp who gets popped for selling heroin at his high school in Brooklyn. White kid. So you start talking about how the poor have been demonized, and you start looking into that, and it goes deep into our culture. This is what I'm saying, is that we ruined our relationship uh with work was through mm. slavery because it made it possible to do anything it's just like when you see a serial killer and you find out the guy abused animals or something it shouldn't surprise you you became a serial killer right because what they do to others they will do you know to you eventually. right right and this right is, this is what i'm saying is that it used to be that um there you, you like you could watch at like old pop culture television, like Adam 12, mm -hmm. I'm watching that. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of the criminals are white, working class whites. Mm -hmm. And this has sort of gradually shifted, where now if you watch television, everybody is an ethnic Right, criminal. right. They're like black, they're Arab, they're like uh, Hispanic, they're, you know, angry woman, you know. Like, um, this is sort of like uh, we are there's a whole symbolism that goes with that story. And it, mm -hmm. it's like, a, I don't know how far I figured it out, but I think that there's, there's a real uh, disconnect and that we have to start looking at ourselves in some 
kind of different way. Yeah, well, and like a relationship with the truth, like what you're saying about the old historical paintings. Um, I also wanted to um, get your opinion. So I think one of the things about the Black Lives Matter movement that I think is predictable particular, the, the recent version of it that's particularly productive is it seems like a real awakening for where white people, and, and I, I'm one of them, who have taken for granted our privilege. You know, like it started making me realize how friends of mine are treated when they are in their neighborhood or like taking the subway home. Like I've had conversations since that time. Um, one black friend of mine, a guy in particular about how he, like the sweetest, kindest, gentlest person. And he's worried. He worries about the police, things like that. So have you, do you have you thought about that? Have you thought about what's your thoughts about white people not understanding what it's really like to be black in America in your experience? What do you think about that? I don't I've found that in life that only the people who really push themselves and lose their identity can really ever put themselves in somebody else's shoes, like in a real way. What do you mean by it's that? It's like people, people, people who seek out uh, the experience, an understanding, you know, uh, that comes with um, self-discovery. Really, are the only people I've ever seen do that. It's huh. just not the average person. If they're if they're caught up in uh, just the reality of paying their bills, if they're caught up in just the reality. Of getting, of, uh, of getting the through the day what, the pursuit of what they enjoy and getting through the day uh, -huh. uh they may miss it and uh this is this is the thing it's like uh there's something in the idea that you're going to the uh diving into the dark waters so to speak uh. you're the person who uh that's where you know the the things that are forbidden uh, you're going to those places, you're looking at those things, then that's the person who finds that. I don't uh -huh. think that you uh, you just get it uh, because you wake up one day on a lark. I think it's a lifetime of work, but I, I think we could lay the groundwork to make society better, and everybody right. wants a better future. Maybe that's what we should be talking about, better. Right, right. So uh -huh. you're saying that uh, people waking up, like white people waking up to say their privilege, as, uh, in, in other words, is um, they're going to, people have to want to do that or have a reason to want to do that. Um, you know, I've been thinking about too is the pandemic because the, the, the whole, you know, timing of Black Lives Matter, the pandemic and Trump's in there too, but that's a whole other ball wax. Uh, I think it might be humbling for people. I think that the pandemic has made people feel more more vulnerable. It makes them realize their humanity more in a way because they realize, I mean, it kind of makes everybody wake up about their mortality and how they can just get sick out of nowhere and 
how things all of a sudden one day can change and be different. And I, I think that perhaps some of that uh, is allowing maybe white people to think more deeply about their privilege. Well, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I would, I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know how, you know, it, to think about it in terms of just privilege, you know, and I know that that's maybe, I, I think one of the things that like uh, years ago, I think like I was having like a, like one of these things where I get an obsessive idea and I start following mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. But I was thinking about like uh, the time periods when people had um, practiced things like human sacrifice. Yeah, right. The terror, the terror that went into the community uh, before that, but the cohesion that it bought. Mm -hmm. So they're willing to, people are willing to actually, uh, in this case, they were talking as though they would offer up the elderly um Oh, or, right, or, as a sacrifice. Or, or, and, right. and then also, also there was, a, you know, just the uh, whole thing with the, um, with uh, people talking about, uh, say, gun laws. It's sort of like similar or the death penalty. Um, there are always people who are willing to, say, um, sacrifice others for the sake of social continuity, which is all the Aztecs were doing, by the mm -hmm. way. They mm -hmm. thought the sun would stop shining and that life would end unless they did certain things. And so they created this whole elaborate structure in order to uh, bring about <laughs> continuity. And so the problem comes with, that is that is like at the core of um, these sort of, um, hateful behaviors you want to call it that whether it's blm mm -hmm. it's like they, they're doing this because they believe that it will bring social continuity so if i oppress this person over here it will bring social continuity uh, or if i let the school kids get shot then the angry guy justice will like be uh, satiated with the blood of the innocent mm. and it'll all be groovy in the constitution. Wow. I don't know if I want to live in your head. I'm not, I'm not enjoying my head that much all the time, but I don't know if I'd want to live in yours. Well, I, it, <laughs> it, it, it's, it, it ain't, it ain't, yeah, you, you You're do dealing a, you with do some a, difficult issues. No, you do a tour in there, you know, it would be like, uh, that's Dave Fry thinking, but, uh, you know, and I, I've had more than one person tell me to shut the fuck up. Because, like, no, well, I, I certainly wouldn't. I, I think there's, I think it's, I think your head contains a, an awesome uh, combination of humor and violence. So I don't know. That's what I, 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 I just do. a lot of good I mean, laughs in there anyway. Well, so, I mean, I, I do have a dark sense of humor, but I'm just saying that I think that basically um, at a certain point uh, that, sort of drive towards human sacrifice never ended and so there are people who think they can make the world better by causing other people to suffer yeah yeah no and i it, hear and it, it and it makes their life more rich and brings them joy and uh a sense so of david we only have four minutes left and i want to make sure we get like a good plug for your work in there so anybody that wants to see david's work he's he doesn't he, listen guys 
David B. Fry is a very humble guy, and he's also got a job and a lot going on. So you might not be able to find his website. But if you Google him, there's a ton of stuff, all like great reviews, explanations about his work. You should really look at the work because it's very original and very entertaining, and I can't really do justice uh, describing it. So uh, if this was a different time period, I would go tell you to see it somewhere, but we can't really do that. So do you think this period is going to influence your work in any new way? David, have you been thinking about that? I've been painting pictures of uh, devils, and I've been writing a story about the devils. Really? The Why the uh, devil? Uh, really? Why? Or what uh, there's a there's a connection, I guess, with the sort of the uh, with the sort of plague that's come up and mm -hmm. uh, plague imagery. And so I, I actually uh, started looking back at uh, stories about uh, sort of uh, hell and the devil. Um, and uh, there's so I wrote a, a story, started writing a story about hell. And then I've also started uh, painting pictures of devils. And do, do you do, do you see this time period as sort of a hell? You mean or? Well, uh, there is sort of a, a sense of uh, of uh, anxiety, I guess, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it's sort of like that goes along with the notion of being bedeviled or mm -hmm. following, you know. And so there's that, and uh -huh. uh, I'm still sorting it out myself. I guess it, it's yeah. That would make sense. I mean, I think, you know, it's too early, like you said, it's too early to call, like, to see how this whole time period is going to influence any of us personally and all of us as a group, right? Still well, a little my, too soon. My favorite devil paintings, I have one devil that's driving a, a literal piece of shit car, and he's mm -hmm. going to be pulled over by police devils. And then I have another devil named Ike Bitchson, and Ike Bitchson has the ass of a dachshund. Oh, I like that. So he, th there's many abominations, and there's also the horror of Babylon. Uh -huh. You know, I mean, I'm sorry about all the evil, evil or, you know, horrible, horribleness that's going on right now, but there is something to be said for the way it does make people more aware, and like I was saying, more humble it does caught it does give us all pause anyway i've got to say goodbye thank you so much for being here i i you know love your work as you know and it was really great talking to you about it and um i want to remind people to stick around because we've got great programming this afternoon right after me we've got uh lost and reround with elon Danziger, and we've got uh, sitting with Gianluca after that. People love him. He knows so much about music. He plays great music, and it's great talk. And here and now with Rachel and Frequency Theories. So stick around and go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. Give us some money. Okay, we really need help. Thank you so much. Bye.